Hello and welcome to On Point, a podcast series focusing on the big topics for corporates and institutions. I'm Peter Shearish, Head of UK Corporate Debt and Financing Solutions. In today's episode of On Point, we're going to discuss what to expect for post-Brexit Britain in both the short and long term. To talk us through this, I'm joined today by Ross Walker, Chief UK Economist, and by Rupert Taylor, our Head of Corporate Sector Advisory. Good afternoon to you both. Hello. I'd like to start us off, if I may, reflecting on the year that was. In the countdown to the end of the Brexit transition period, the last thing the UK probably needed was a global pandemic and lockdown restrictions that caused the biggest global recession seen in many years. I'd like to start off with a question for you, Ross. As you reflect back on 2020, what was the overall economic impact on the UK? And looking to the bright side, could it have been any worse? Well, the economic impact, at least in in terms of economic output, was enormous and, and really without precedent. We haven't seen a recession like this in, in, in the post-war, post-World War II era. Um, it looks like we don't yet have full 2020 data, but it looks like the UK economy uh, will have contracted by just over 10% in 2020. So, that's you know, three times the size of a, a conventional recession in, in terms of lost outputs. Um, but in terms of the positives, there, there were some. The policy response was, uh, was rapid and sizable, things like the, the job furlough scheme, an entirely new structure being put in place, definitely cushioned the labor market. And without that, unemployment would have been dramatically higher. And in fact, even with the furlough scheme, uh, the unemployment uh, numbers have, have held up, uh, the employment numbers have held up better than feared. So, so there were some positives. The response, I think, prevented this becoming a, a much deeper and, and more protracted economic crisis. Thanks, Ross. And Rupert? In a service-led economy, did we see any relative winners from what can likely be described as a disruptive 12 months? Yeah, thanks, Pete. And, and as you say, it was, it was clearly a disruptive 12 months for, for almost all corporates. Um, but, but the impact of the recession, as Ross just described, it, it, it's unusual as much as it was felt quite differently uh, dependent on, on sector. And the other factor I think that, that played a large part here was, was scale of uh, scale of corporates. So, you know, for for, for some sectors and, and the obvious ones, uh, non-food retail, uh, hospitality, leisure, you know, to some degree, also etc., you know, they've suffered hugely given the nature uh, of the recession, given the nature of the lockdowns we've seen. Whereas others, whether that's food retail, um, you know, to some degree pharma, tech, etc., they perform you know, reasonably creditably, uh, creditably given the uh, given the background we've had. And others still, such as you know, building materials, construction, chemicals to some degree, packaging, etc., have performed have performed reasonably well. So, you know, it, it, it's a recession that's been felt unevenly uh, uh, across the board. Uh, from a sector perspective, and as I mentioned earlier, those with scale, those with the uh, the ability to to adapt quickly, to implement digital strategies quickly, to access capital quickly, have obviously been in a better position to uh, to to look to thrive, or indeed even start considering how to take advantage of, of what's been a very difficult time. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Rupert. 
If we can now move to the, the, the final Brexit deal that was announced a, a short four and a half years after the, uh, after the referendum. If, um, if I could just start with the same question to both of you, but I'll start with Ross. What are your views on the final deal and, and were there any surprises for you? In terms of the, you know, the basic content of the deal, the economic and, and trade aspects, uh, it was largely as expected. So heavily skewed towards trade in goods. So the good news is zero tariffs, zero quotas uh, for most uh, traded goods, certainly any goods that meet the rules of origin um, requirements. Um, so for the, the manufacturing sector, uh, this, this should minimize disruption. There will inevitably be some frictions because there will be additional uh, border checks, product checks, um, new IT systems being implemented and so on. Um, but you know, the, compared to the risk that we had at the end of, of 2020 of a no-deal outcome, um, that, that's a relatively um, favorable outcome. The problem, from my perspective, looking at this in terms of the, the whole UK economy, is that the, the new trade deal between the UK and the EU only covers a, a relatively small proportion of those economies' economic activity. Uh, these are services-heavy uh, economies, as Rupert was, was mentioning. And the deal does cover, uh, provides some specific provisions for particular services, businesses, so for example, airlines, telecoms, hauliers. But it's striking for what it doesn't cover, uh, including financial services, but many other professional services. Uh, and although some of the wording, you know, if you look at the, the trade treaty, it often begins with this treaty will provide open market access and ensure non-discriminatory practices, et cetera, et cetera. But then in the annexes, there are a whole host of exceptions. So really, we have huge swathes of the economy, which are not really covered in any comprehensive way. So that's the first potential snag. The second one is that the deal got held up towards the end of last year because both sides were squabbling over level playing field um, arrangements, state aid, and so on, and also dispute related dispute resolution mechanisms. And one of the things we'll have to see over the coming months and years is to what extent does this new arrangement result in a huge wave of litigation and tribunal and court procedures as one side or the other lodges complaints about anti-competitive practices and whether that has the effect of snarling up trade and weighing on investment. It remains to be seen, but it is a, it's one of those potential uh, bear traps that, that, that is out there. Thanks for that, Rob. And, and, and same question to you, Rupert. Yeah, just following on from that, thanks, Pete. And I think, yeah, given where we were, let's say, in, in November or shortly before the, the announcement on, on Christmas Eve of the, uh, of the agreement, I think, you know, clearly, you know, generally you know, positive reaction and, and, and uh, some, some corporates and, uh, and, uh, and pleased to have got there. Yeah, I think in the context of where we could have got to a month earlier, um, you know, it's, it's good to have some, some clarity in a deal. In the context of, of you know, thinking about where we were originally maybe thinking in 2016, you know, clearly this is, this is at the, to, to, towards the hard end of, of, of the Brexit outcomes that we were originally, originally considered. I think you know, following on from, from what Ross said, 
Yeah, one of the keys that you know, I see, and I think some of the conversations I've had with um, some UK corporates are already bearing out, is that you know, whilst there is some clarity, which is which is great, there's still an awful lot uh, of detail, and the devil will be in the detail here to, to go, or indeed to be to be agreed on at, at later stages, whether that's in the, in the coming months, in some cases, or or years, and. And furthermore, you know, there's also sort of practical tests on, on the goods front, which is, you know, at the moment, uh, you know, volumes of, of, of traded goods between the uh, EU and the UK is, is you know, materially lower than it would typically be at this time of year. And that's perhaps masking you know, what, some difficulties that, that might appear as, uh, as importers and exporters get used to new uh, customs arrangements, you know, regulatory considerations, etc., uh, and Ross, Ross touched on rules of origin. I think that's emerging at the moment as you know, one uh, potential point that certainly corporates will, will have to think about uh, in terms of the the, the, you know, the content in their in their products uh, when they're distributing that, um, you know, for instance, from the from the UK to, uh, to to the EU. On the services side, you know, clearly I don't have much to add to what Ross said. You know, clearly this is a um, this is a manufacturing you know, heavy heavy deal. Yeah, services is, is so far very very light indeed. You know, it would be interesting to see to what extent um, you know, regulated professional services, especially at the smaller end, need to now start thinking more deeply about you know, how they uh, how they uh, access and serve um, EU based uh, based customers. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you for that. And, and if, if Ross, I can go to, to you now quickly in terms of the, the broad macroeconomic outlook. What, what can we expect in the short term now the deal's out there? So in terms of the the next the next few months, really the, the dominant driver uh, for the economy will be the impact of the renewed COVID restrictions. And, and you know, that will really dwarf any Brexit-related frictions. Um, on the latter, in terms of perhaps border delays and, and new IT systems not functioning, the correct paperwork not being there, et cetera. The, the Bank of England has suggested that those, those Brexit frictions could maybe lower GDP by around one percentage point in the first quarter of this year. So, you know, it's not a negligible hit, but it's, it's a manageable one. Uh, I think with the, the COVID escalation, uh, you could be looking at an economic impact of two, three, maybe four times that size. Uh, in terms of uh, first quarter economic activity. So uh, I think we're in for a tough quarter, a uh, tough start to the year. The, the, the positive is that, that the vaccine remains a game changer. And as that is rolled out, um, we should obviously see an easing of conditions as we move through the year. And you can probably be more confident um, about that easing taking place. Without the vaccine, it could be a, a very troubling, dire outlook. Uh, thanks again. And, uh, and, and turning back to, to you, Rupert, in, in the sort of towards the end of uh, 2020, you outlined eight major ways businesses could be impacted by Brexit. But would you like to touch on a, a couple of the most relevant implications for, for corporate decision makers? Yeah, thanks, Pete. I mean, in the near term, I think clearly it's you know it's understanding the details. As I said before, there's over 1,200 pages of the agreement. Yeah, you know, it's understanding the details and how it impacts corporates and and, and their supply chains. Yeah, you know, and making sure that they they can get to grips with the custom rules. Yeah, you know, any any new uh, regulatory uh, requirements, um, and and, you know, and 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 you know, follow on pieces like rules of origin, etc. 
Yeah, following on from that, yeah, we've seen a pretty significant uh, liquidity buildup, mainly driven by uh, by COVID, and we've seen a pretty significant working capital buildup in anticipation of, of of Brexit. That that puts a number of corporates, you know, especially at the larger end, in a uh, in a good place, uh, uh, and, you know, and gives them some flexibility. Yeah, at some stage, uh, yeah, there'll be a decision about um, about on the working capital front, you know, whether to you know, normalise working capital levels. But we don't expect that. We don't expect that for uh, for, for some time. Yeah, as I said earlier, as well, yeah, as, as traded goods volume starts to starts to increase again, and obviously that will be in part dependent on on lockdown easing. You know, and. Uh, and, and, and corporates, you know, start to understand better what the new requirements of them are. And we may see some difficulties at the border. So preparing to to, to deal with that and to think about how to uh, how to deal with that is is important. In more medium term, I mean, I think one of the one of the positive aspects of of, of you know, the increased certainty, of course, is that potential capex plans, indeed, even even maybe M and A plans, uh, you know, can be can be dusted down and, and, and reconsidered now. Um, and I think that's something that we will we will start to see over the coming over the coming quarters. And then finally, I'd say you know, people. Obviously, people is uh, a, a key a key part of uh, of the exit from the, uh, from the EU, and perhaps not a you know, it is something that corporates have planned for for a long time. But you know, the ability to to attract workers, the ability to retain workers, especially for for instance. You know, uh, seasonal requirements you know, is going to be an ongoing issue. So thinking about how to cope with that, thinking about how to invest to cope with that, is is as important now as it, or more important now than it's than it's been in the last uh, the last few years. And on that front, as with many others, I think you know, typically what we've seen, and certainly some of the surveys, um, for instance, in the Bank of England, um, corroborate this is that larger corporates have had, by nature of more bandwidth, you know, more time to prepare, more time to consider how they're, how they'll be able to adapt and respond. You know, smaller corporates who will be pleased that there's a deal typically you know, will, will, will be perhaps on a slightly steeper learning curve over the, uh, over the coming months. Thank you for that. And, and if we can turn quickly now to sort of the longer term outlook, um, I'll ask a, a couple of questions, if if I may. Um, Ross, for you, if you could just sort of just quickly talk about you know, how long you think it would take for the UK to return to pre-pandemic um, the pre-pandemic levels? Yeah, certainly. And obviously, what has changed since the, the tail end of last year is this this third national lockdown. So, whereas prior to that, most economists thought. From the, the beginning of this year, from 2021, the first quarter, we would see a, a sizable rebound in growth. That is going to be delayed probably by one calendar quarter. Uh, so we'll get a fall in output probably in, in Q1, 2 to 4% down, something like that. And then as conditions are eased, the economy will, will begin its, its rebound. So that knockback, it becomes more, if you like, a, that second dip, a, a sort of W-shaped recession rather than a V, um, means that it, it will take a little bit longer to, to get back to pre-pandemic levels of output. And I think you'd be looking at the tail end of next year, 2022, before UK output was back to, to where it was uh, at the beginning of 2020. Thank you for uh, thank you for that, Ross and and, and and Rupert. What do you think are the the more sustained transition pain points 
uh, will be for businesses and, and, and how will this vary by sector? Yeah, I mean, I think as Ross said, you know, in, in, if we talk about pain, I suppose you know, COVID you know, swamps Brexit in terms of the, uh, the, 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 the pain that corporates have felt and the, uh, the, the need to, uh, to adapt and move, move quickly. I, mean, I think I said you know, earlier in the, in the near term, you know, corporates need to, need to adapt quite quickly and understand what the new customer and technical regulatory requirements of them, of them are. Um, you know, they will need to then embed that in, um, in their ways of working. And one of the things we've seen from COVID that I think um, uh, is exacerbated to some degree by Brexit is a reconsideration of, of, of the supply chain, uh, whether that's you know, multi-sourcing, whether that's moving you know, more near or, or, or onshore, effectively to get more resilience in the supply chain. So, so right now, whilst it, yeah, at, some, at some point um, you know, Brexit and COVID may lead to uh, a happy coincidence uh, you know, corporates have, have really got to think deeply deeply around around their supply chain triggered by you know, both these uh, both these major events you know, as I said earlier as well you know, services companies obviously there there isn't a huge amount here um, apart from some of the carvers we talked about for um for corporates so a number of them especially uh, some mid sized ones will will need to think about you know, how do they set up in the eu uh, if that's if that's applicable and how do they comply with with national level regulations, which is clearly yeah, an additional an additional level of, of complexity, and and longer term indeed, as I said, in some ways, uh, you, know, you could characterise the agreement as a obviously a very major step, but the first step on on what will be a fairly a fairly long journey. Uh, you know, obviously the UK will will want to use some of the sovereignty it's it's found to 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 devise some of its own uh, its own regulations and, and, and rules, and we will see you know further agreements and indeed further divergence, and corporates will have to will have to pay attention to that, perhaps in a way that they they haven't had to to the same degree uh, whilst the uh, whilst the UK was a member of the EU. Thank you for that. And if I, if I just move to the one last question, which I'll ask to, to both of you, and I'll start with you, Ross. Uh, in terms of growth opportunities, where, where do you think they might be in, as we think about the future of, um, of, of Britain now the deal is there? Yeah, I mean, th- this is the big question. You know, what is, what is the UK's broader economic model going forward? And, and the honest answer is that I don't think we have seen from the government, from other policymakers, a comprehensive, coherent post-Brexit vision being articulated. We we have, you know, snippets of initiatives. It might be, for example, in, in green finance. Um, there's some discussion about the UK trying to sort of nurture its own homegrown tech sector. Um, you get occasional discussions, people using the sort of phrase Singapore on Thames, could the UK become a, a low tax, lower regulation economy? So there are sort of ideas swirling around, but I think they're yet to, to take a more concrete form, let alone any strategy emerging. So inevitably in the near term, I think there will be an element of, if you like, policy firefighting, both dealing with COVID, but also the UK trying to to put in place some some new trade deals with third countries, notably the US, that might prove prove tricky. Um, and and fundamentally, you know, it's about how do you growth stems from from business investment, and it's how do you create an environment where you nurture that investment. The UK under 
EU membership had the advantage that as a, an international business, you could base yourself in the UK, you could use that as a hub from which to trade in a frictionless way goods and services across the whole of the EU. Barriers have now been put up post-Brexit to that. And so it, it remains to be seen you know, where we find these new opportunities and new markets. And I, I think the short answer is that this will be a, a lengthy process. It will take a number of years to put in place new trade deals, new economic arrangements. So I think we are heading for a period of, of some uncertainty and certainly some disruption. Hopefully, say, in five to 10 years' time, when a you know, full assessment could be made about that post-Brexit landscape. Um, it will it will be a positive one. But as I say, at the moment, the, the details really are very sketchy. No, thank you for that, uh, Ross. And, and, and Rupert, anything to uh, to add there? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I in total agreement with Ross there. I think he, he characterized it a number of days ago as, as the vision thing. And, you know, the identity of, of, of the UK was, you know, for, for, for businesses was, was fairly clear uh, when a member of the EU. You know, it's, it's probably slightly less clear now, um, albeit we are seeing, you know, we are seeing snippets of, of where clearly the government would like to stimulate further growth, whether that's uh, you know, in sustainable, uh, sustainable parts of the economy or, or tech, for instance. I think exactly as Ross said, you know, Clearly, further trade deals uh, would, would be positive, whether that's with the US, TPP, whatever it may be. But, but obviously, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the talk so far has been effectively about replicating um, the type of deal we effectively have through the EU. And indeed, the UK is a is a is a it has less less clout now, as we all know. I think the UK does look underinvested in, in, in a number of ways. Um, you know, uh, and I think you know, the clarity will. Will allow. Uh, will hopefully. Um, will hopefully you know, see the UK you know, uh, attract uh, attract a little more a little more interest now. In terms of in terms of you know, growth opportunities, yeah, we certainly see growth opportunities in the UK, and we certainly see you know, growth opportunities within within you know, the, the UK uh, corporate base. You know, it, it, the UK is still a leader in, in a number of in a number of sectors, and and I think if you know, if we continue to focus on on R and D, uh, and we continue to uh, we continue to look to develop. So far, it's been sort of rhetoric heavy, but continue to look to develop, for instance, you know, the VC sector a little bit more to support that. I think that would be a positive. And um, you know, in terms of sectors to call out, I think I think we're probably pretty familiar with where. Where we expect to see growth and where that 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 may well continue you know, post Brexit. That's uh, you know, certain aspects of financial services, fintech, you know, uh, green financing. I think you know, obviously pharmaceutical and healthcare more generally should continue to grow. Check Ross's Ross has touched on, and we've seen a you know a, 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 a quickening of the pace of the shift to digital over the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Um, yeah, and, and, and clearly, you know, infraspend as well, and sustainable infraspend as well as, as, as part of the government's you know, both levelling up agenda, but also as part of their sustainability commitments, which um, which I'm sure they'll want to see. You know, they'll want to see corporates play a major a major part in. So I think you know, I think there are there are key growth opportunities, um, and you know, clearly we look forward to uh, supporting our clients with them. Thank you for that. And uh, no, no further questions um, for, for me. So thank you again, Ross and Rupert. Um, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of On Point. Uh, please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes uh, and like it as uh, this will help others to, to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all of our latest content. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.